Welcome to Valley Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 7. We're continuing uh, through this gospel. And as you're turning there, you know, next week is Father's Day and we're, we're doing softball on Father's Day. I, I was given a handful of dates and I didn't really realize that one was Father's Day. And as I was starting to feel guilty about it, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a dad. I want to play softball on Father's Day. So um, it really is a good time. I know my reputation is kind of the guy with a whole lot of competitive spirit and no skill when it comes to softball. So, but we had a great time and we definitely were sore and, uh, and, uh, just, it's, it's, uh, just sort of pick up softball. We're just going to just fellowship and, and have a good time. And, and, uh, you know, I know a lot of the people in the stands were cracking up at us and our performance on the field. So today's story found in Luke chapter seven, we're going to pick it up in verse 37, uh, 36 to the end of the chapter. This story is powerful. Um, I think there's the elements in the story that they could actually make a movie from this. And if it was made into a movie, it would be a total tearjerker. I mean, you would be crying the whole way through watching um, this love story unfold. Um, My prayer is that as we look at the story today, that we will be able to kind of place ourselves into the story, that we will see um, these three characters there's Jesus is obviously the hero of the story. There's a Pharisee, uh, one of the religious leaders is sort of um, the bad guy in the story. Um, and then there's the sinful woman and her story and display of love to Jesus is uh, really who we look to as an example in the story. And I hope that God would help us as we work our way through. So let's go to him in prayer. Uh, ask him to help us. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Uh, Father, as we look at the story, we pray that your spirit would bring it alive, Lord, that we would uh, be able to go back in time, that we would uh, feel the environment, Lord, of uh, this meal uh, that was had by Jesus at the the home of the Pharisee. And Lord, we pray that, um, Father, help us to feel um, the weight of burden that was lifted from this lady and the love that you displayed towards her. Father, help us to see how this applies to our own life. We ask you, Lord, that you would bless our time here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, 
But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we do thank you for the story. Lord, as we work our way through it now, Lord, we ask that you would guide us. Lord, that you would illuminate the meaning. Father, soften our hearts and help us to hear your voice speaking to us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So as this story unfolds, I, I, as I work my way through Luke, <clears throat> I see kind of two tracks kind of developing. And, and to be honest, I've been very surprised at the, the negative light in which the religious people are portrayed throughout the Gospel of Luke. And to kind of show this picture developing, uh, I want to go back to ch- Luke chapter 5. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 5. And that we're going to look at a number of verses that show kind of this, the people following Jesus, those who are tax collectors, sinners, those who had heard Jesus's message or John the Baptist's message, they had repented, they had humbled themselves before the Lord, they'd re- received life and they're following him. This crowd, this crowd is growing like a cancer almost. It's, it's taking off, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The word's gone out. People are coming to hear Jesus. And as this is happening, we see interjections of the Pharisees and the scribes, those who were the experts in the law, standing there critiquing Jesus, seeking to plot against him, seeking to condemn him, which they ultimately would. And this tension is going to continue to build through the Gospel of Luke. And we begin in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now it happened while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So here he's at the Sea of Galilee. The crowd had getting word that stuff had started to unfold, that Jesus' ministry is coming alive. He's healing people. He's forgiving people of their sins. And people are coming all over to hear him. So much so that he basically backs up and he's got the lake behind him and he has nowhere else to go as the crowd's pressing in. The story continues down in verse 15. And we read, but news about him was spreading even farther And large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So people are coming to hear him because there's power in his word. And as he speaks, people are being set free from certain conditions. Continuing down to verse 21, we see the Pharisees and the scribes appear. In verse 21, we read, Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So as he's preaching, he's sharing the gospel that their sins have been forgiven. This is drawing more and more people. And the Pharisees are sitting there. Those of the law are saying only God can forgive sin. Who does he think he is forgiving sin? And I want to, by way of caution, there's so much... In, in reading through the Gospels and looking at the story of how Jesus is arrested, it's so easy for people to, to 
take this, oh, the Jews killed Jesus sort of thing. We have to point out, keep this whole story, virtually everybody in this story is Jewish. This isn't the Jews against the Swedish Jesus. Jesus is totally Jewish. He's a Jewish man. These are all Jewish people, and there are believing Jews and non-believing Jews. And the non-believing Jews happen to be of the religious establishment keeping the law that they'd created from the Old Testament. And so they see him. They say, who is this? Who does he think he is forgiving sin? Verse 21. From here, we're going to move down eight verses to verse 29. And we read about in Levi, this was a tax collector. He gave a big reception, a huge party for Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people reclining at the table with them. So this is a very similar sort of story that we read in today's story. There's a big party. There's a table. It's not about the meal. It's about the conversation. And people are on the outside listening to Jesus. And as this is happening in this tax collector's house, the Pharisees respond in verse 30. The Pharisees and the scri- and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Who does this rabbi think he is? He's hanging out with the sinners. And as a word of caution, there's a bunch of Christians that will use this sort of teaching. There's a lot of like angry Christians who don't like hanging out with Christians. And they say, oh, Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And so that's, we don't like hanging out with Christian people. We just want to hang out with sinners. Jesus hung out with everybody. Like today's story, he's going to lunch at a Pharisee's house. He loved everybody. And he was working on everybody, trying to reach everybody. And so from verse 30, we're going to slide over to chapter 6, verse 2. And we read, but some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And this is the story where they're going through the grain fields. It's on a Saturday. A couple of his disciples are hungry, so they reach in, which was totally acceptable in the Old Testament law. They grab a kernel of wheat, they rub it in their hands, and they eat it. And as this happens, the law keepers jump out of the bushes and say, well, we've created rules about the rule book in the Old Testament, and what you're breaking our rules, and why are you doing this? They're trying to trap Jesus. They're building a case against him. Ultimately, when he goes before Pontius Pilate, this is a case that they're saying crucify him, and they would become successful. So from here, from chapter 6, verse 2, we slide down to verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. Continuing on to verse 17, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. So here, this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. As he begins, there's his disciples. There's a throng of people. That's a lot of people. It's adding from these crowds of people who are hearing the good news. He gives the, the message. We go through the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down. He goes into Capernaum. As he goes into Capernaum, remember, the centurion had sent message that his servant was sick. Just say the word. He didn't need Jesus to go there. And when Jesus gets his story, we, he turns around in verse, uh, let's see here. Um, I lost, where are we at? Am I in the right place? Chapter 7, verse 9. He turns around and he said to the crowd that was following him, in all of Israel, I haven't seen such great faith. So this crowd just keeps multiplying and multiplying and the tension of the Pharisees is growing. We come in, continuing through Chapter 7, let's see here, we're going to verse 11. 
He goes into the city of Nain, and this is where there was a funeral happening. There was a widow who lost her only son. She's got her own crowd of people, but we're told that a huge crowd accompanied Jesus. So as people are hearing his message, they're jumping in the crowd, and then they start following him, and then more and more people are added to this chain of people. So from there, we move down to verse 24. When the people had, when John the Baptist messengers had come to ask Jesus a question, he says some stuff, they go back. Then when they leave, he turns to this crowd of people and he starts teaching about John the Baptist in verse 24. And so we come to today's story and we're introduced to a Pharisee, Simon, very common name. This story is not to be confused with a similar story near the end of the gospel. This is its own story. We don't know who this woman is. We know this guy's name, Simon. Simon is the most common name during this. There's all kind of Simons in the Bible. And I believe that this meal was a setup or a the plan of seeking to condemn Jesus further to build this case. See, when we go to lunch in our culture, we say, oh, we want to go, go over to have a meal or go over to have dinner. It's all about business in American culture. Like I'm like, we want to have a meal. We'll hang out and talk until the food comes. And the food comes, then we're going to eat. Then when we're done eating, we're going to say our goodbyes, our pleasantries, and we're going to leave. Hour and a half tops. We're in and out. Their meal was like this was, the food was like a secondary thing. This was hours, three, four hours, time for conversation and dialogue and discussing certain things. And Simon the Pharisee had him over certainly to discuss theological questions, concerns, and a case was being built. Now, this woman is going to enter. Now, this woman, from my study this week, I do not believe that she becomes a Christian in the story. I believe that she was a woman that was in the crowds, that all of those stories building up, she'd heard Jesus's message. She'd received forgiveness. She'd been so touched by the love of God that now she responds in the story. And we'll see this in the text. But so as we're looking at this meal in verse 36, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. We don't know what time of day this was. Um, some suggest it was nighttime and they had tiki torches. Well, they weren't tiki torches, but you guys get the fire to light the place. And... And they would be, it would be a short table right off the ground, maybe six inches off the ground. And they would be sprawled out around it. I picture pillows all around the table. Jesus in the story, in my mind, because I'm left-handed, he's laying on his left side. His face towards the table, near the table, almost putting his elbow on the table with pillows there. Everybody's feet all the way away from the table. So they're, the dirty part of their body is away from the table. Their faces are there. They're communicating in this sort of setting, this would be great theologians, the Pharisees, Jesus, this great rabbi would be present. Those that weren't invited to the table were allowed into the setting. And so they would be in the room on the outskirts, allowed to listen. They were not allowed to participate or enjoy the meal or anything, but they were simply on the sideline observing. This woman that's introduced... She would not have been allowed into this Pharisee's house. She would have contaminated it because of her sin and how they viewed her. There's been a couple speculations. It was dark and she had a hood and she kind of snuck into the room. Some have suggested 
that maybe it was a setup on the Pharisees. The guy watching the door says, hey, we'll let her come in. We'll let her get to Jesus. And then this is going to be all over, you know, the, the newspaper the next morning that ra- this rabbi had this, this unclean woman all over him. Help building their case against him. We don't know. But they're there. They're talking. They're enjoying this meal. They're reclined. They're dialoguing. Verse 37, this woman enters the scene. And we read, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Literally, it means an immoral woman. She was sexually impure. She would have been banished. As I look at the story and the weight of this woman's case, what she's experiencing, I'm reminded of the story in another gospel. I think it's in the gospel of John when Jesus and the disciples go into town. It's the middle of the day and there's the well and there's a woman there getting water all by herself at the middle of the day because she wasn't allowed to get water with the other ladies in the morning. She was put out from society, looked down upon because of her lifestyle. And Jesus talks to her. This woman would be similar to her. And before we go through all this, when we look at these few verses, almost every commentary points out the the huge amount of verbs, action words found in this story that clearly paint in detail the picture of what this woman does. I'm going to read through and then we're going to work through each one of these verbs, these actions to help kind of bring the picture alive. In verse 37, we read, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. There's all sorts of action here. We've already learned that this woman is a sinner, that she was an outcast. She certainly would not. She might have been allowed into the setting of the home, but most people don't think so. She certainly would not have been able to to break this barrier of the line to approach the table and let alone to touch somebody at the table. She's out in town. She knew who Jesus was. She's heard of him. She's responded to the message. She gets when Jesus is in that house of the Pharisee's house. And she wants to go give a gift to him. She has an alabaster thing of perfume that she wants to go bless him with as a gift. Responding to the love that she's already received. And she gets in there. Somehow she makes it through. Somebody, security should have stopped her. She should have been kept away. She makes it to where she's standing behind him at his feet. And so you have to picture this. There's Jesus laying on his side near the table, his feet away from him. She walks up behind him over his feet. His head is there. And at this moment, I think the emotion just overwhelmed her. Here's the Messiah. Somehow she'd gotten through to stand right near him. Her goal was not to like break down and have this emotional sort of response. Her goal was to bring him a gift. But I sense that as she stood over him and at his feet and realizes, here's the Messiah. God, he already has forgiven me of my sin. Only God can do that. They've already accused him. Who's this man that can forgive sin? And she just loses it. This term for weeping. 
When you study the, 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 the words in the Bible concerning weeping, there's a couple different kinds of weeping. There's the weeping where, you know, you start blinking really fast and you'll lose a tear. And then there's like weeping where it's like the floodgates of heaven open up. And you're not talking tears. You're talking tears. You're talking snot is like coming out of your ears. Like, where does all this stuff come from? Seriously, each of us at any given moment could have all kinds of snot and tears flowing out of your 